This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 343. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined by Mr. CEO, Commander-in-Chief, Person Dude, Jacob Paulson. Thanks for inviting me, Riley. Didn't really have a choice. Matthew couldn't be here today. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yep. I'll be your default. I don't mind. <laughs> no, no, this is good. Uh, actually, I'm really excited to talk with you about the topic we, you know, at hand here today. And today's episode title is 65% of people don't do this after their CCW class. What is that? Well, we'll get into it. <laughs> Got to keep people hanging on just, just a little bit longer, right? Well, the headline is what gets you people to listen. So, you know. That's right. Although, according to some people, that's called clickbait. It's only clickbait if it's actually a bait and switch, to be very clear. If, if you actually get what the headline says, it's not clickbait. That, it's just I, a good headline. I agree with that. I agree. So we are going to tell people what 65% of people don't do. We are, in fact, actually going to talk about that. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, today's episode is uh, made possible by some, some very special sponsors of ours. First of all, Ammo Supply Warehouse, ammosupplywarehouse.com. You know, Jacob, I just ordered some more ammo last week from them. And as is usual, they are so on top of it. So that's one of the best things about Ammo Supply Warehouse. Whatever you order, it usually ships very fast. It does. And yeah, yeah. So super impressive. This time I ordered a thousand rounds of the Federal Syntec 150 grain nine millimeter, which is like a it's supposed to be a a pretty light shooting load for like competition. So they they uh, Federal considers it their action pistol uh, load. It's a like official load of the USPSA. And I, I I finally got my hands on those not too long ago to try them out. Just a box. And was really impressed. And I was like, well, I wonder where I can buy a bulk order of them. Because when you buy them by, by the box, they're usually like 15 bucks a box, which is, I mean, it's not terrible. But right now we've got 9mm ammo for like eight fifty a box, right? So I did some looking around and I was looking at all these other sites. And I thought, wait a minute, what am I doing? I got to check Ammo Supply Warehouse. The only reason I hadn't checked them first is because I didn't think they actually had it. And what's cool is they actually did. <laughs> so... I'm like, bam, done. And it was the cheapest that I found anywhere, including after you add the shipping on. So I was like blown away. Anyway, really, really excited to, to get my uh, 150 grains and shoot some more uh, competition with them. Yeah. Yep. We are big fans of Ammo Supply Warehouse. I appreciate that they have two different ship from locations in the country. Uh, one East Coast, one, well, one Eastern, one Western, uh, which obviously makes it so they can sell ammo with cheaper shipping fees to all of us, which is sweet. Yep. Yep. I, I think that's actually part of the genius there. So, uh, I mean, are there sites you can go to where shipping is always included free over a certain, you know, amount that you order or whatever? Yes. But in my experience, in all the research I've done, and I've done quite a bit of looking at all the very various popular websites for ammo, uh, many of their competitors, and there are some that are really close in price occasionally you'll even find some that are a little bit less in price but consistently i find some of the best prices 
in the industry at AmosupplyWarehouse.com. Go check them out, all right? And Guardian Nation members save an additional 5%, which makes a bet any an already really great deal on ammo even better. Today's episode also brought to you by Citizen Armor Backpack Inserts. Uh, these are really, really good, well-designed body armor panels from Citizen Armor. Uh, we actually did a test, Jacob and I did, uh, with a bunch of different body armor panels. Uh, granted, we didn't; it wasn't as comprehensive as it could be, but the, the, the problem there is that there's tons of body armor companies. And so we, we picked a few that we were able to get our hands on relatively quickly and easily, and that also were fairly comparable in some ways. And Citizen Armor was included in that test, and it was our best performer, is was the conclusion of that. So really impressed with the stuff from Citizen Armor. It's well-made, built in Utah, right, Jacob? Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, by, by American craftsmen. So, and the cool thing is they, they incorporate some different technology into some of their body armor than other companies. And I know that like, everybody wants to claim their own thing probably, but... But Citizen, Citizen Armor, I think, actually does something truly unique. Well, when you shoot up six different you know, brands of, of armor inserts and you cut them up and look inside and look at the guts, there's actually very few that actually are that different. Right. Yep, that's true. But Citizen Armor is one that is different because there's actually layers of carbon fiber. Nanotube nano stuff. Yeah. yeah, something. Something that sounds really fancy. <laughs> But actually seems like it works pretty well. So we were impressed because what was impressive about Citizen Armor is it was really thin. You know, like you looking at it, you're like, surely that won't stop ammo as well as this other panel over here that's like a half inch thick. But actually it did as as good or better than everything else we tested. So Yeah, despite being lighter, skinnier, th- you know, whatever. Yep. And we said, you know, bonus to us, we sell them which yep. is why they're today's sponsor. So go to concealcarry.com and shop by brand. Click on Citizen Armor. Uh, I got one even easier for you, Jacob. Do you, you have a direct link? Go to concealcarry.com forward slash backpack armor. There you go. Backpack armor. No spaces. Yep. Okay, cool. So this is a good time of year to do that. Uh, if your kids are like mine, they freak out on occasion if they when they really, when reality sets in about what could go down and... Um, both in terms of emotional help and actual legitimate potential help, these these backpack inserts can go a long way. Now, of course, these are only rated against virtually all pistol rounds, so it's not going to do anything in the case of of, of any high-velocity rifle rounds. Sure. Uh, but uh, The alternative is sticking a steel plate in my kid's backpack. That's not going to happen. Yeah. So, anyway. Can I get something off my chest? Sure. I'm really pissed off. Because oh I saw that there's some proposed legislation to make mm. body armor illegal for civilians. Mm. And I was in a, a gun group, not to be named out loud, where comments on this proposed legislation were along the lines of, seems fine to me, no big deal, don't use it anyway. And I was like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? No. I, I can't. Uh, not cool. Like, I'm trying to understand how anyone could conceivably think it's that we need to make body armor illegal. A defensive tool that protects people from getting shot should not be legal. And, and, uh, and I, here, here's the argument, of course, which is completely insane, Riley. But the concept here is, well, these active shooters, they wear body armor, and it makes it harder for law enforcement to take them down. Because they got... Not, and, and 
I'm like, have you ever seen what happens to someone they, when they get shot with body armor? Are you insane? What do you think? That they, like the bullets bounce off and they don't even feel anything? It's completely ridiculous. I'm just mind blown by the concept. It's, it's the equivalent to saying the suppressors make guns silent. <laughs> it's that kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's actually, I think, way worse than that even. But yeah, it's, it's just uh, because like, you said you, it is what? completely a defensive tool. Uh, and, uh, you know, not only do they want to take away our guns, but they want to take away defensive stuff to, like, defend yourself. Of course, the argument could be made. If we take away all the guns, Jacob, and we make the world a safer place, then there would be a need for the armor. <laughs> but well, that, well, that's a can we could open some time. But anyway, I, I just... <laughs> If you're listening to this and you you don't see any danger in allowing a legislation to be passed that makes body armor illegal to civilians or somehow requires that one be licensed or background checked to obtain it, you don't get it. <laughs> Craig says, never really wanted armor, but then I found out the Democrats don't want me to have it. Now I'll be buying some. <laughs> <laughs> I bought I bought uh, my first armor probably boy it, it's been a while now I've had a I, I have an older set that I've had a long time yes it's expired should it still function like it should yeah it should that's a lot of shoulds anyway uh, and then I got some newer stuff as well that's really great and I really like but I keep that older stuff just just to have and just as a backup and you know hey throw it on a spouse throw it on a family member whatever uh, anyway <laughs> so, so you're gonna use the new stuff and you're gonna throw your Expired stuff yeah. on, on your spouse. Just wanted, yeah. just, just wanted to clarify. Just wanted to ask. I'll be on there. I'll be on record for that. <laughs> I'm the one that's going to be running into the gun okay. battle. Cool. I'm so just, I got to have a better. <laughs> just ask the what, question. Tell you what. When, when the missus decides to take up shooting and concealed carry and getting a permit and all that seriously, then then I'll buy her some new ammo or armor. Okay, that sounds fine. <laughs> Uh, okay. So, Hey, one other thing we got coming up here we still have some spots available in an upcoming course in September that Jacob and I are teaching here in the Denver, Colorado area, actually Northern Colorado. And, uh, just letting everybody know, Hey, come, come join us for the triple guardian that we are putting on. Uh, what is it? The last weekend of September? Mm, second to last weekend. It's like September. Oh, that's right. It's like five yeah. weeks or something. No, it's the 27th. No. Is that it? Hold on. I'm looking at the wrong part of my calendar. There it is. The 20th, 21st, and 22nd of September. We have our... Uh, shoot, help me out here. <laughs> our Guardian. Guardian. Guardian Essentials. Guardian first one? Guardian <laughs> and uh, it's worth traveling for. I know some of you may not be in the Colorado area, but we would love to have you. I think it's totally worth it. And it's a good good price. If you're interested in taking all three classes, you also can get a discount versus just taking uh, one one day or two days of that training. So technically, Absolutely. three different classes on three days back to back. But it's expected, and 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 it's often the case that people just sign up for all three days and take all three together. We'd love to have you. So come join us. Like I said, still have some spots, and uh, you can find more info at class.concealedcarry.com. Uh, you can even filter down by location to say Colorado. You'll you'll and just look for those dates: September twentieth, twenty first, twenty second. Right here in Colorado, we'll have that uh, Triple Guardian course going on. So, anyway, looking forward to that. All righty, let's jump into today's topic. So, again, I, I said that today we're talking about 
at least one thing we're talking about is how 65% of people don't do this, this was this one thing after their concealed carry course. But we're going to save that for a little bit because we have some other things we're going to talk about. So actually today what we're going to, we're going to do is we're going to break down some survey results uh, that is an ongoing thing. So we constantly get more and more data added to the pool here. Uh, anytime anybody takes a concealed carry course, I think it's all of our students, right, Jacob, throughout the whole network? Correct. All students network. So, so how it works is you take a class from any of our instructors network-wide. And uh, within 20 hours, exactly 20 hours, actually, after you, after your class begins, we send you an email. And in that email is a thing that says, you click to take this survey. And, uh, and that gives us some initial feedback on the instructor. But the real good data, the good stuff comes uh, when we send a follow-up survey to students at exactly 60 days after the class, six months after the class, and 18 months after the class. Why 18 months? Just curious. I have no idea. It's arbitrary. I made that up at one time. And that's, I guess that's where we're at now. We, get, we gotta stick with that or we'll screw up the we, data. We, we skipped the year mark, you know? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, and it's really interesting because you see some commonalities between the different data points. Uh, and, and there are, with between the 60 day, six month and 18 month surveys, there's also some slight differences in some of the questions in there. Oh, yeah. The, it, yeah. Each survey is its, is its own unique survey with its own questions. But there's also some commonalities. A few. Uh, so so it's, it's really interesting to kind of see some of the, the change almost. There, there is some of that. There's also some things that don't really change that much as you're looking at the survey data. So, so there's, there's several things here as I was looking over the most recent results that were surprising to me. Some things that weren't necessarily surprising and some things I didn't expect at all which would be the same thing as being surprising. <laughs> uh, so, Jacob, I, I don't know. Where, where do you want to start with this? Let's start at the beginning. Let's start at the first survey, first question. You know, I think we just go through it. Cool. And as I switch back to that tab, all of a sudden, Google decides to sign me out. So, I'll That's let you right. take it away. Yeah. Okay, go on. So, uh, 60 days. So, this is a survey that goes out to someone after they've taken a, a basic class or a permit qualifying class. 60 days after they've taken the class, first question we ask people is, have you completed the application for your permit? 80%, almost exactly 80%, 80.02% say yes. And 19.98%, you know, approximately 20 say no. So Riley, surprised on that one, 20% of people have not turned in their application after 60 days. No, I'm not necessarily surprised by that. Uh, if anything, I'm, I'm almost a little surprised that 80% say that they have completed their application. And, and that's partly just because anecdotally, you know, I, I've crossed paths with a number of my students through the years, or I get follow-up contact from them, you know, like a, a phone call or an email sometimes. And they'll be like, hey, uh, I'm finally getting around to applying for my permit, and I've lost the certificate. Can I get another copy? Right? And I guess because I feel like that happens way more often than I think it should, <laughs> my, my impression is probably, you know, anecdotally that there's a lot more of them that don't apply for their permits than, than I think. Well, so. two, and two other things that we have to recognize. Um, first is that this is self-selected survey data, meaning that sure. we can't gather survey data from every student. We send an email and say, hey, take this survey. But the people who are more inclined to say, yes, I'll take this survey are probably people who are more passionate about, concerned with, engaged in the daily use or carrying of the firearm. 
So, you know, if, if we had data perfectly on all students, and, and that's just something to keep in mind across this entire conversation today, that the people responding to the survey by nature of the, the method of which we're asking them to, to respond are probably more engaged in, in the concealed carry lifestyle than, than, the, than average. Right. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that, that might be true yeah. that, you know, maybe, and, and what we didn't ask, what we don't know is that what percentage of our students uh, even don't have any intention of applying, you know, here we have 20% that after 60 days have not applied. It's possible. Some of them never intended to apply to begin with. They, they went into the class, took it and walked away, never intending to apply for the, for a permit at all. Um, there's certainly a, a percentage of them that are in that realm. Yeah. So it's a good clarification as to, you know, how the survey data is compiled and, and the, the sample, the group of people that it comes from, meaning, as you said, self-selected. And those are generally going to be the people that are going to be a little bit more active anyway. They're actually looking at our emails, for instance. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, I've definitely had students come through my classes. In fact, my, I, well, I think my most recent class I taught, it was a small class, like four or five people in it. One of those specifically, I mean, I ask virtually every class, like, why are you here? Uh, what brought you here? What are you looking to achieve to get out of this class today? Because uh, I like to know. And I like, to, and I also tailor what I teach a little bit as well, based on the feedback I get from the students right in the beginning. Like, what, what brought you here today? What do you need from this class? And I definitely have gotten those responses, including this most recent one, where someone's like, well, I'm not planning really on doing anything about it. I just wanted to take a class. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, you know what? I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're getting this education. Glad you're learning about firearm safety, all that stuff. And at the same time, I am going to spend a little bit of effort. And I told them this. I said, I'm going to try today in this class though, to inspire you. I'm not going to try to force you, but I'm going to try to inspire you. There's a difference to come around to the idea of carrying a gun for self-defense. And they're like, okay, that's cool. You know, and, and whether that made a difference or not, I don't know, you know, but uh, definitely had students, you know, other similar students like that. So, and there's not, there's no harm in that. Like I said, I'd much rather people, I would love to bring all the anti-gunners through my classes, right? Just for the education aspect. And, Hey, actually know something about the stuff that you're talking about and that you want to ban. Sure. I mean, and I have to think too about a certain number of people who come to the class as a, as a second wheel, right? That, that person is yep. with a spouse or with a buddy or with a friend. And it's like, you know, I, I own guns. I'm going to go get my permit. So I, I would like you who live in the same household as me or you, my child, or you, my spouse, or you, my whatever, to at least have the same education I'm getting, and I think that's very wise and pertinent, even though that 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 second person may not intend to apply or may not you know, follow through. And that's fine. Yep. Yep. Cool. Cool. All right. So that was the first piece. And, and that was just the 60-day survey that you referred to. But if we look at the six-month survey and the 18-month survey, uh, well, well, the so, month survey, no, we do we don't not ask, ask that question. That's right. That's yeah, right. In the six-month survey, we do ask the same question. So in the six months, uh, have you completed the application for your permit? In this case, it, it, the, uh, it does, there's a slight uptick, right? We go from basically 80-20 to 85-15. So 84.45% of respondents say, yes, they have a complete application. So you basically have an additional 5% uh, who don't get it done in 60 days, but they do over the course of the, of the following four months you know, before they hit their six-month mark. So not a, not a great amount of increase. For the most part, people who are going to you know, follow through and put in their application are going to do it in the first 60 days. Yep. Now, 
I think it is relevant to point out that in some states, you have to apply for your permit within a certain time frame after you take a class. Uh, yeah. Well, probably most states you have to do that to some extent. I, I think that's true, but I think that, that timeline's pretty generous. I mean, I, and by generous, I mean, I think in most states you probably have a year, um, and I think a year is relatively generous. I think there are some, like California, I think. I could be wrong on this, and maybe it depends on the county, too. I don't know. I just feel like I read something somewhere where you got it's got to be within 90 days or something, you know, but uh, uh, could be wrong on that. I'm, I wouldn't sh- shock me at all. In fact, Mark could probably tell us because he's a Californian. Well, that varies by county, I can tell you. So, okay, so it is by county. Yeah, yeah counties gotcha. are going to set that, that criteria. But like in Colorado, Colorado, I think, is a kind of an, a unique one in this regard because – Colorado says, well, really what, what the statute says is that you got to repeat training, like it, whether you're going to apply for a permit or renew a permit, you have to have had training within the last 10 years. So you're supposed to repeat it then in theory every 10 years. So what that would also imply then is that you have 10 years to use a certificate from a class you took. <laughs> That's, That's an right. insane long period of time. 10 years, what it says. It's yeah. all, and and I, we get that question all the time. People call us, text us, whatever. Hey, I took your class. Uh, I haven't applied yet. You know, do I need to retake the class? It's like, well, I haven't lived in Colorado for 10 years yet. So if you took my class from me here, you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there's a couple of comments from people uh, that are watching the Facebook feed today that are saying it's one year for for their states that they're in. And I think that's probably pretty typical. Yeah, I do too. So anyway, um, all right, back to some more survey data. Yeah, so here's uh, the next one. Uh, and we're going back to the 60 days. And the question is, since the class, have you purchased any of the following? And we only ask this question at the 60-day survey. We don't repeat it at six months or year and a half. And the four, or excuse me, five options are handgun, other firearm, suggesting a long gun, right? Uh, holster, safety gear, suggesting like eyewear, earwear, or maybe medical trauma gear, and then ammunition. And obviously, the highest percentage response is ammunition. So the majority of people coming out of our class, uh, they're, they're going to buy ammo. Well, majority actually, 33% say they buy ammo. Uh, and that's the, but that is the top response, which would suggest that you have about, you know, call it 70, 60, what, 66 point something percent of people who don't buy any of these five things within 60 days, right? They come out of our class and don't make any purchase at all. That's pretty alarming, pretty surprising, but maybe they're really stocked up on guns and ammo. I don't know. But but our top response is 33.38% of people say within 60 days, they buy ammo. A handgun uh, is, is at 20.68%, so call it 21% of respondents buy a gun within 60 days. And holster is at 26%, suggesting that uh, you know more people come out of our class um, than not already have the gun they intend to use for self-defense. That might be something they've had for years, or maybe they purchased it before they came into the class. But more people within a 60-day period buy a holster than a gun, which to me suggests that you know, a certain number of them already had a gun. Yeah, yeah. I think that's completely reasonable. There, sure. There's nothing about that particular question that surprises me. The, my only concern for me is that we have you know, almost 70% of respondents that report not having bought any of these things within 60 days. So unless they're really stocked up in ammo, uh, that's a little concerning. But you know, we'll, we'll find out the reason why here soon. I, yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Uh, I, there's definitely a subset of gun owners that are probably well stocked. <laughs> sure. uh, I, just, I just bought a thousand rounds of nine millimeter for, for specifically for competition shooting. It's not even my like normal training ammo. And it'll probably last me a couple months uh, for competition use. 
But uh, all right, let's see here. You're not normal. Uh, I, I don't even go through as much ammo as, I'd, as I probably have in the past, to be clear right now, because my, my budget's a little tighter than, than I'd like it to be. <laughs> um, okay, so let's see. So what resources, if any, have you accessed since your class? So at 60-day point, we're trying to find out basically what are people doing to continue their education? How are they engaging with firearm-related information? And uh, we currently ask, you know, basically we give people four options and then they can fill in another. And, and we've expanded this more recently. Just I was looking at these surveys this week and I've since updated these. But the majority of the data, majority of people who took this survey, they, we gave them four options. So the, the question reads, what resources, if any of you, access since your class? And here are the four options. A mobile app about firearms. A website about firearms. An online retailer of ammunition or firearms and an online discussion forum for gun owners. So we're just trying to figure out like what kind of websites and tools are people going to and using. And uh, 33% is the highest response. So 33% report that they've been to a website about firearms. That makes sense that it's the highest of these four options, but 33% still a little bit low, surprisingly low to me. Uh, 28% have visited an online retailer of ammunition or firearms. And... 15% have used a mobile app that has something to do with firearms and, and about the same 15% an online discussion forum for gun owners. Yeah. I think what this tells us is again, something that's not necessarily really surprising to me. Maybe it's surprising to others that are listening to the program today. I don't know, but uh, is that by and large, the average concealed carrier or person that takes a concealed carry course aren't that serious, okay, about, can, you know, they don't view themselves as necessarily being on a path or on a journey to further knowledge and enlightenment <laughs> as it relates to concealed carry, shooting, self-defense, stuff like that. I mean, some people probably think that that's what they're doing or they think that they they already have uh, or that they're, that they're learning and they're studying, uh, but... Uh, I think a large number of people that come to our classes probably do the class, Jacob, and get their permit, and then that they're done. Like, that's it. Well, yes, that's true. But I got to ask the listeners of this podcast, as we go through this num these numbers, do not listen to this episode in the mindset that you are a super user, high-end high consumer who, you know, outperforms the average. I, I, I dare you to challenge yourself and ask yourself, Am I average? You know, am I, you know, do these, are these numbers actually truthfully me? Are they speaking to me or are they not? And we're just getting started here. There's, but I think there's some more of these, there's more of this, this number, these, this, this data that I would encourage you to have some self, you know, reflection and say, man, is that, is that me we're talking about? Yeah. Well, and I do think, and I, and I hope that's what, um, you know, certainly we'll see what comments come in here from, from our Facebook viewers right now. But I certainly hope that those that list, are listening right now, that what we would use or take away from this, and we got a lot more stuff we're going to talk about still here today, but is that like, where are you at in your own personal journey, right? What are you doing today, tomorrow, this week, this month, the rest of this year to learn, to study, to educate yourself, to train, to practice. What are you? What are you doing to get better? 
and to be an inf- a positive influence on others in your environment too. Absolutely. Because, I mean, that's, it's just, if, if you're truly serious about the self-defense lifestyle, about being a so-called guardian, uh, it's a never-ending journey. Like, it doesn't stop. You can't stop because the moment you stop, you slide backward. It's an up. It's an uphill climb. The moment you stop practicing your shooting and your your firearm handling skills, you slide backward. Like it's a everything about it is a perishable skill. Hands on tactics, perishable skills. Uh, I think even mindset is a perishable skill because when you the moment you get lazy and you forget about keeping yourself sharp, you're it. You're just going to start sliding back. So uh, it, it is a continual journey, I think, to to make sure you stay sharp. And so you're, in other words, like there's in my in my mind, there's not a static position for anything in this regard. And I think that's actually pretty true for a lot of things in life. There's there's very few things that are, that are static. Everything is constantly changing and constantly in flux. You're either getting better or you're getting worse, right? And so, and it, it is absolutely that way with guns, with self defense training, all of that. So you're either getting better or you're getting worse. Where on the spectrum are you? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So the next one is, a rel- is about uh, referring friends or family. The question is worded, and, and this question is present in both the 60-day and the six-month survey data. The question is worded, have you referred friends or family to take the same course you completed? So we're trying to understand, you know, how many people are, are being – you know, evangelists for, for concealed carry training. And after 60 days, 64.95, so we're going to call it 65, 65% say yes. Yes, they have referred a friend or family. That number should sound familiar. I think that's the title of our episode. Whereas, of course, 35% then say no, they haven't told a soul. Now, at six months, that does change a little bit. At six months, we asked the same question and it jumps up from 65% to 68.28. Suggesting, of course, again, that the vast majority of people, if they're going to tell any friends or family to, about the course they took, it's going to be within the first 60 days. Yep. That's, that's interesting. Um, I don't know if I have, I mean, well, actually kind of, kind of to the point, you know, what we were just discussing a minute ago about how many people are, continuing to look up information and studying and educating themselves. Uh, I think this is a positive thing that people are actually sharing information with friends and family about, Hey, I took this class. I went and got my concealed carry permit, whatever. I found this great instructor. Like that's actually a positive sign because that, that says at least it's enough on their minds and it impressed them enough. And they're thinking about enough that they're actually spreading that with, you know, that information, uh, with their friends and family. So that's cool. But more uh, likely to share while it's fresh in mind, while it's new to their lifestyle, yes. right? Once yes. it's something that's comfortable and you've been doing it for a while, your tendency to think that you should share it with others just goes away. Mm-hmm. Clearly. Now, one thing that was surprising to me, I mean, kind of not, but but it ultimately it is surprising. Keep in mind the reason why we have these people, these students going through our concealed carry courses. Well, most of them are doing it to get a permit so they can carry a gun concealed. So then you would think that most of them, maybe at least a plurality of them, would actually carry a gun fairly regularly. So the seventh question on our 60-day survey 
is, do you intend to carry your firearm concealed? And it's actually not asking, it's not worded saying, are, do you carry your, your firearm concealed? It's asking, do you intend? Uh, so I don't know if how much of that is really important or not, but it's someone's personal subjective vision of what, what they think they're going to do. Right. Cause they may or may not have a permit at this point or whatever. Sure. But, uh, the biggest response 31.78% is on occasion, they're going to carry their gun. Yeah. The options given are never on occasion, regularly, most of the time or always. And it's interesting because the responses really are heavy on either of the two extremes, basically. So the top response is on occasion, 31.7%. And then the second highest response is always at 23%. And then, of course, most of the time, a little bit is the next highest response, then regularly, and then never. So very few people who take this survey never intend to carry their firearm concealed, right? The people who take this survey... You know, 99%, 98.9% of the people who take this survey, they do intend to carry their firearm concealed, at least on occasion. Yep. Yep. Now, again, yeah, this is asking carrying your firearm concealed. And yes, there's people out there that maybe they carry every day, but they carry most of the time openly. Uh and again, depending on the state that you're in, I mean, where this comes into play and, and the reason we ask this question is, again, they just went through a concealed carry course, right? So it, it's sort of, we want to know what the intent is as it relates to this course you just took and getting a permit to do so, to carry concealed. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see, to, to also ask a, a similar question, Jacob, just of how many people actually carry their guns? right? Period. Like doesn't matter how they carry it, but just how many actually carry a gun and how often do they do that? I, I don't know. I, actually, that we'd really see that much of a difference. Um, maybe a little bit, but I don't know that we'd see that much. Yeah. So. In six months, we asked a similar question. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we worded it a little bit different. And at, at six months, we, we say, at this point in time, do you plan on carrying a concealed firearm on a regular basis? But we don't give the five options of never, occasionally, et cetera. We just say, it's just yes or no. So people, you know, so it's purely, do you, do you plan to carry on a regular basis? Yes, no. And that's at six months. In that case, we get 77.3 who say yes. So, I mean, if you really think about it, it's actually the number drops. At 60 days, if we only have 1% that say never, right? 98.9% of people at 60 days say either on occasion or more. But you ask a similar question at six months. You say, hey, do you plan to carry on a regular basis? And you got 22.69%, call it 23%, who say, nope, I do not plan. So, so it, that's the interesting thing to me is that from 60 days to six months, you actually have about 21% of people who went through the class who take this survey who originally planned to carry at least on occasion who now do not plan to carry on any regular basis at all. So that's pretty interesting. Yep. Yep. I agree. You know, and so this kind of ties into, I, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Ooh, I'm, I'm bouncing around between uh, tabs here. And so uh, we start off this podcast by saying 65% of people don't do this thing after they take a concealed carry course. And I think it's kind of related to a lot of what we've covered up to this point. And what that is, is 
65% people. And it's like, what is it? Where's the number there again? 654 Nope. Ah, 65.44%. Yep. So I wasn't lying when I said 65. I rounded the correct direction. I rounded down because it was closer to 65 than 66. Uh, so the question here is, have you sought out additional firearm classes or training? And 65.44% have not. Now, that's the 60-day the sixty survey. So it's like, okay, well, I just went through this concealed carry course. Within 60 days, for a lot of people, that probably sounds like a little much to like immediately turn around and take another class. Yeah, in fact, to me, it sounds reasonable, frankly. In fact, I'm impressed that within 60 days, 35% of people have sought out additional firearm class to train. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm saying like, I love it. I think that's fine. I'm saying that's impressive to me. The number's better than I would expect arbitrarily, right? To say sure. that within 60 days, 35% of people have sought out. Now, it doesn't say completed. I'll add that really quickly. I think it's important to note. It doesn't say you've completed additional classes. It says you've sought out. So maybe that just means you've, you've, sched, you know, you've signed up for something that's a year and a half from now. I don't know. Because the way the question is where it is, have you sought out additional? Sure. So 30, you know, 65.44%, right? The 65% are saying that they have not even sought out additional firearm class or training. You're a glass half full kind of guy, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I am. You know, again, we got to remember that there are people who come through these classes who don't even plan to carry a gun. Yep. They, they purely are there almost out of an obligation or because they, they're putting their foot in the water. They're like, you know what? I think I'm, I'm willing to just take that class. I mean, you know, 15% or how many, what percent of these people have turned in their application yet? I already forgot. You know, 20%. 20% of people yeah. haven't even turned in their application yet. So it seemed really unlikely that, you know, if 20% of people haven't even turned in their application yet, that there's a given 20% that definitely have probably not sat out additional training. So, you know, in the, in the context of the thing, within 60 days, 35% of people have sought out additional farm training or classes, and that's not bad. Yeah, I agree. It's actually not bad. Uh, I would love to see more, obviously, because we're, we're always harping about training here. Now, what is interesting is if you look at the six-month data mark or, or point uh, for the, for the it's, it's essentially the same question. I think it's even worded exactly the same. Have you sought out additional firearm classes or training? So we ask it again at six months and the response there is actually it goes down in terms of the no's and goes up in terms of the yeses. So and that, that makes sense, right? Yeah. So maybe not within 60 days, they're seeking out more training, some of the people, but within six months, they some of them are. So it goes up to 40, oh, basically 41% of... From, from basically 35. Yeah. End up seeking out additional tr classes or training uh, within that, you know, they, 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 they say they've done that within that six months. Yeah, so, so, so again, this is important to note because what we're saying is the difference between 60 days and six months is only 6% more, right? Only 6% of these people... Um, who didn't see to seek out additional training after 60 days, only 6% did then seek out training in the, in the following four months. So that, what that tells a guy like me who's in the business is we really need to encourage people to seek out their next training as quickly as possible while it's fresh on mind because that's when the majority of people do is in that first 60 days. Even and again, it doesn't have to be that they're going to take the class in those sixty. We're talking about just seeking out, right? Yep. Now we ask the same question again. It's it's worded a little differently, but it's basically the same question. 
at 18 months, have you sought out additional firearm classes or professional training, it says. Uh, and what's interesting at that point, the survey data, it goes back to essentially the same level as it was at 60 days. 35% say yes, 65% basically say no. And now, this is probably the most concerning of these of all these different things that we're talking about today, because while it might be reasonable to say, okay, it's a little fast for some people to get another class within 60 days or maybe even within six months, but I definitely think more of these people should be getting more training and more classes a year and a half after they've gone through a concealed carry class. But again, I'm not terribly surprised because I, I, I have a, I think a pretty good, sense of of where my audience is at my audience meaning that you know these 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 people these students that i have taught that have come through my classes and some of this is because of the conversations i have with them and the questions that i ask you know i mentioned that i ask in virtually every class hey why are you here what brought you here what are you looking for what are you trying to achieve and a common response is i'm just here because i got to meet the state mandate you know, minimum requirement of, of taking a class, getting a certificate, going over to the county, applying for my permit. And why am I getting my permit? Just in case. Well, that's I it. hear that people all the time. Yeah, people see the permit as a destination, not, not a step, a leg in the journey. And, and I'm, I'm going to be like super critically honest here. And I hope our, our listeners are being honest as well. I got my first concealed carry permit in December 2004. Okay, so I... Did I take an additional class within 18 months? Nope. Sure didn't. Did I even bother seeking it out? Nope. <laughs> sure didn't. I mean, I would be the majority if, if we went back and looked at me in 2004, 2005, or 2006, whenever you know, 18 months would have been. Because I, I, I was like, yeah. So, and I carried a gun every day, by the way, to be clear. Like, I, I did not just check the box and say, great, I got a permit. I bought a gun, put it in a holster, and carried it around every single day. Uh, you know, on a college campus back then and while I was working at my job. So I, I guess my noteworthy point here is today on the presidentconcilcarry.com. So obviously it's something that there was some point where it changed for me. And I don't, we're not trying to, to judge anyone who goes 18 months and doesn't do anything. I think our point is at whatever point you decide to up your game, right? At whatever point you decide to, I'll call it plateau up to say, okay, this this is where I've been in my journey at this point right here. I've been pretty stagnant for some period of time. Whatever that is for you, wherever, whatever that stagnant line is, it's, you know, it's time to up your game. It's time to take it to the next level. Now, for me, when I was a, bin- a beginner, man, it wouldn't have taken much work at all to get to the next level, right? It was a very low threshold from where I was at to get somewhere higher. Uh, for some of us, you know, like you, Riley, to, for you to get to the next, to really have a breakthrough and get up to the next level, it's going to take a lot more work because you're much further along in that journey than most. Uh, but that that's kind of, you know, I, the way I try and think of this is, is understanding it that way. Yeah, I definitely concur with you on, you know, the, when I first got my permit, I was similar in that I didn't seek any additional classes or training, at least immediately. Uh, there was a time that I, probably thought I knew more than I did, you know, Dunning-Kruger effect, you know, that, hey, I'm good. I'm a pretty good shot. I think I actually was a pretty good shooter uh, back in those early days of concealed carry. But, and I think my mindset was generally pretty solid. Like, as I think back, I definitely had some 
some misconceptions, but I think overall I was, I was pretty well grounded. You know, I wasn't thinking anything crazy. It wasn't, you know, trying to, I don't know. I didn't have a big hero complex or anything like that. Um, but, uh, but I definitely, you know, think I thought like probably a lot of people do that. I, I'm actually a pretty good shot. I, I'm, in, I'm in pretty good shape. Right. Um, what changed for me was I actually got into, I, I started getting into my first law enforcement uh, training and uh, got involved with a, an agency in Colorado here. And that sort of, because of some of the training I attended. And by the way, I actually performed very well. Again, I told you I was a pretty good shooter. I actually, in going through some of my, my first earliest uh, you know, law enforcement pistol training, I was one of the better shooters in the class, if not the best. Um, I recognized that fact. But I started realizing, hey, there's some other things here that I'm a little bit weaker on, things that I didn't know about, things I didn't think about, things I didn't consider. You know, my, 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 my draw was we a lot weaker than it probably should have been. And, you know, like as a newer concealed carrier, I don't think I had an appreciation how important my draw, my presentation were in terms of, now I'm not just talking about speed. Speed, yes, some is, is fairly important, but consistency is more important. And I don't think I really understood that. So I guess what we're trying to say here, I mean, we all kind of go along on a similar journey, I think, for a lot of people uh, from that beginning point to we get to a higher level, like Jacob was talking about. I think what Jacob and I, the way I see it, if I was trying to talk with somebody that's brand new, and someone, I guarantee you, is listening to this podcast right now that is brand new to the idea of concealed carry or having a gun for self-defense purposes. And I would just tell you, based on experience, right? You don't have to go touch that hot plate, that stove top yourself to find out. Trust me when I say, I wish I knew then what I know now. And one of the core tenets that of things that I understand now that I wish I understood then is how important it is to get good quality professional even training because that helps you. It, it sh- here's the, here's the thing. Here's what it does, Jacob. It shaves off years and years and years of struggle to becoming better. That's what, quality training does for a person. For most people, it shaves off years. If they were to try to figure all this stuff out on their own, it would take them years to do it. Why? Because most people only have a few hours a week, if at all, that they will, that are that they are able to dedicate to a particular topic. And even then, it's inconsistent at best as they are learning and studying. But you go and take a good self-defense, you know, or defensive pistol course from a quality professional instructor, they will be able to show you things and open your mind to things that would take you years to figure out in a relatively short period of time. So it's, it's really about efficiency, right? And, and that's, again, this is my plea to everybody listening. Trust me when I say this, you need to go take good quality professional training and continually. This year, I will by by the end of the year, I will have been through three or four classes. This year, I can't remember which. 
I, I don't have it like a calendar in front of me or anything like that. Uh, I'm excited about that because last year was a down year for me in that regard. Too busy, had a lot going on. Busy this year too, but I, I said, you know what? I'm going to make it a priority. I'm going to make it out to less matches. That's been part of the difference between last year and this year. I've sacrificed a couple things that I do enjoy doing and that are also beneficial to me as a shooter. But I have not been shooting competition as much this year and trying to make sure I get to more professional training. Uh, so it's important. It really is. And like I said, the, probably the biggest thing is it, it'll, it'll knock off years in your own personal development to becoming a better shooter and a, and a better self-defense-minded person. Um, I'm going to move on to the next one here because I think I want to make sure we cover some of these. And I don't know. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I, I just thinking like, I feel like we talked about some good stuff already, but that's fine. Apparently there's more. <laughs> I thought this was interesting because we do ask uh, two other questions I, I think are important. Well, I'm going to say three. Okay. One is we ask, how often do you engage in self-defense uh, training or depending on when you took the survey, it might've said practice with your firearm. And the premise here is to just get a sense that outside of formal training, taking a class, what about just people going to the range on their own and doing doing the thing? Yeah, I forgot about this question, so yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're bringing it up. Well, this is important. So, so you might say, well, someone might be not inclined to take a formal class, you know, very soon, but at least they're going to the range and shooting, right? Well, the, here's here's the short story. At six months, we asked this question at six months, and I think we asked it again at 18. I'll check in a minute. But at six months, the options you can you can say are either one, I haven't since my class, two only once or twice since the class. Again, this is a six-month period. Three, five to six times since the class, which is basically once a month, okay? And then four, every week, okay? Those are the options. Now, I'm, the first thing that I'm most surprised by is we got 16% of people who say every week. 16% of people who take this survey say, claim, that basically every week they go practice with their firearm uh, and, you know, since in the last six months since they took their class. That's pretty cool. But that is not the top response, really. Yeah. Um, the top response is a little unfortunate. 35% say they haven't engaged in any practice or self-defense training of, uh, on their own of any kind since they took their class. 35%, over a third. Like, that was one data point through this whole thing. I'm like, what? Like, meaning you haven't been to the range, you haven't shot your gun, you haven't done any dry fire practice, you haven't done, you haven't practiced drawing from your holster, you haven't done a thing in six months since you took your class. Like, dang, bro. <laughs> yep. That 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 is a bit surprising. Like once or twice, five or six times. Like, okay, yeah, all right, not ideal, but not bad, but not doing anything in that regard, that's pretty poor. It doesn't get much better over time. At the 18-month yeah. mark, we ask a similar question, but it's, it's, it, we don't say since your class. At 18 months, we ask it this way. We say, how often do you engage in self-defense training with your firearm? So again, uh, we've since replaced that to say practice, but it could, you know, I think most people interpret training and practice as the same. So, so roughly the idea is how often do you get out and shoot a gun, right? And again, the top result is 33.63%. And it, this time is the response is every few months. And here are the options, just to be clear. You could answer as follows. Never, rarely, every few months, several times each month or weekly. 
So given those options, 33% say every few months. So at a year and a half, the people who self you know, indicate that they're willing to take a survey about you know, what's been going on with them since they took their class a year and a half ago, a third say they get to the range every few months. Now, 21% say several times each month and 10% say weekly. So if you add those numbers up, uh, let's see, 33, 60, 64, 64% say every few months or more frequently than that. So, you know, again, my perspective is that's not bad. Uh, that's not bad. Now, every few months is a little disappointing. I wish it was a little better. You know, I think several times each month is, is pretty good standard. Weekly is pretty impressive, frankly. Every few months, at least at least it's better than never or rarely. So, you know, that's that's where I'm at with that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's a, a related question, at least as I see it, to that one that I think we only ask on the 18 month survey correct me if i fire yeah yeah correct so it says what percentage of your training is dry fire or laser simulated uh i assume most of our podcast listeners know what that means but dry fire obviously the word laser simulated now it just says dry fire okay dry fire okay cool cool um so what percentage of your training is dry fire okay dry fire practice and 7% respond with more than 75%. That's a lot. Um, I'll be honest, just because of what I've got going on right now and also my, my allowed budget, I'm doing a lot more dry fire right now than, than I was maybe six or eight months ago. Um, yeah, six or eight months ago was kind of the winter. So well, a year ago, let's say. Did you clarify all the options, the potential I'm, answers? I'm going to go down, okay. but I'm, I, I'm just saying like, 7% say more than 75% of their practice is dry fire, which is, that's, that's actually pretty phenomenal because, well, I guess it kind of depends too on how much they're actually getting to the range. Right, if I get to the range a couple of times every, <laughs> every year and 75% of my training is dry fire. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, could, yeah. Be, could be a problem. All right. Other responses between 50 and 74%. 14.8%, so basically 15%. Between 25 and 49%, 13% is a response. Between 1 and 24%, 12% is the response. But here is the a bit of a shocker to me. It's, it's, again, it's one of those things, it's like, at first I read it, I'm like, what? And, and it's because I'm reading data like this from my own perspective, and my own perspective is like, what? You never dry fire? Um, at the same time, then I think and I go, oh, well, you know, based on, keep in mind, these are people that have gone through concealed carry courses. And as others have, you know, including our commenters on Facebook today have noted, some of these people don't really have a lot, you know, that much of an intention, that, that big of a, intentions of doing much uh, beyond taking that class and getting a permit. But the response for not doing any dry fire practice whatsoever is 52.9%, 53%. That's, that's a lot. That's astounding to me, again, from my perspective. But I think that's probably pretty, pretty typical for your average gun owner, your average concealed carrier um, out there. Again, that's, that, you know, that's why we did stuff like creating this podcast, you know, Jacob and I, because we, we were passionate about reaching people in a different way and through a different format and medium and hopefully teaching and inspiring them to do more than the average person would. 
because we want more, more responsible, more skilled, more able, more willing concealed carriers out there in our society. So yeah, obviously longtime listeners know how much we harp on the idea of dry fire. I think it's an incredibly valuable thing to do. I think it is another one of those tools. I talked about the importance of going through additional training courses and how that can knock off years in your journey to becoming, you know, the, the kind of shooter and concealed carrier that you'd like to be. Dry fire is another component of that, that if you don't do dry fire at all, it's going to take you years to become a really good shooter. If you do dry fire and you do it especially regularly, it's going to knock off years. It's going to save you so much time. Uh, I've talked a little bit, I think maybe on a previous episode about uh, Steve Anderson, who has a podcast called That Shooting Show. Highly recommend it, by the way. Uh, And his thing, he's really big on dry fire. And he shares the, the experience of when he decided he wanted to make Grandmaster like what, what put him on the, on the map, you know, what, what brought him to people's attention. He, he published, he's published a couple of books actually now, but he basically said, look, I became grandmaster and here's how I did it. And one of his, like his number one tool for achieving grandmaster, you know, this is a USPSA uh, uh, classification. His number one tool was dry fire. Tons and tons and tons of religious, dedicated, consistent dry fire practice uh, with, you know, and, and being able to do that, he was able to reach that level in like 18 months. But for most people, like a lot of, it's a common saying in in this action shooting sports that to get grandmaster, it'll take you like 10 years of dedicated practice, like shooting practice, but you can knock off tons of time if you have the right game plan and you spend a good amount of time doing good dry fire practice combined with valid, you know, valuable live fire shooting as well. But dry fire, I think is a, just an incredible component. That's that most people overlook. There's one last Sorry, question. I went on for a while there. Yes. Yeah, no, you're fine. I think that, I guess there's two more. One is really quick. So I'll just talk about it really, really quickly. And then the other one might require a little more discussion, but we'd ask um, at, at 60 days and 90 days, we asked if people have had any contact with their instructor since the class. And it's pretty overwhelmingly, no, <laughs> people do not have any contact with their instructor uh, after that initial class. So I asked that, I don't know. I mean, it, it sounds right to me. I don't, a lot, not, a lot of my students don't reach out to me or anything, but I guess for whatever reason in my head, I just always wonder, you know, if, if, if you're serious about something, you think you'd have some contact with that instructor. You'd have a question, a follow-up question to email or text or call them with, but you know, for whatever that's worth, 85% of people don't have any additional contact with that instructor. Or maybe they think their instructor sucked and they now work with some other instructor. I don't know. Uh, but okay, here's, here's the one I want to focus on. Uh, at 18 months, so it's a year and a half after the class, we ask if someone carries a concealed firearm on a regular basis. We already talked about this. We said that 63% say yes, 37% say no. If you say no, we ask the following question. Which of the following factors contribute to that decision? So we're trying to find out for people who say after 18 months of taking this class, or 18 months after taking this class, we and they say, no, I do not carry a firearm on a regular basis. We're trying to find out why. You know, what, what, what's preventing you? And we give several options, uh, which include difficulty concealing the firearm, too many places that prohibit guns, physical discomfort, fear of taking decisive action or taking a life, 
fear of legal and civil consequences, my employer doesn't allow it, conflict with social activities, and just couldn't establish the habit. And then, of course, there's an other field. And, and other is, is a, the top response. 16% of people chose other and wrote something in, and we're not going to read all the responses. Uh, but I do think it's interesting to look at some of these other ones because the, the next highest response for reason people don't carry a firearm on a regular basis is too many places that prohibit guns. So uh, well, 14.7%, 14.7% of people who, who responded to this question, not everyone answered it, but the 14.7% who did, or excuse me, those who did, 14.7% said too many places that prohibit guns. So I find that interesting that the biggest factor that's keeping someone from carrying a gun is the, the perception or the reality that's just too many places, places prohibit it. Now we live in, in the beautiful freedom loving state of Colorado ish. I, I'm saying that with some tongue in cheek, but there's not a lot of places around town where I can't take my gun on a, you know, my, on a normal daily activities, unless your employer doesn't allow a gun, you you probably can carry a gun around in Colorado. And I think that's true in, in most places. Now, if you live in New Jersey or Maryland, you know, maybe there's a lot of places that prohibit, I don't know, that's not a culture or a, a community I've ever really lived in. But I did find that weird. I, I will half even wonder if it's a bit of a perception, you know, more so than a reality. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going, Riley, before I let you comment. The second most common response is difficulty concealing the firearm with a full 13.9%. So pretty close uh, number. 13.9% say it's difficult to conceal the firearm. That's, a, that's an interesting challenge, right? Because it sometimes does take people work, you know, different guns and holsters and clothing to figure out how to do that. And yeah, it can be a challenge for many. Very close to that one, 13.24% responded, my employer doesn't allow it. And also very close, 13.24%, the same as the other one, just couldn't establish the habit. So there's less than like one and a half percent variance between the four top responses here. Difficulty concealing, too many places to prohibit guns, my employer doesn't allow it, and just couldn't establish the habit. So all four of those are basically your top reasons people don't carry a firearm on a regular basis. Establishing a habit is hard. It takes time. I mean, anybody that has tried to either establish any other sort of habit or even eliminate, because I mean, eliminating a habit is kind of the same thing that you actually have to establish the habit of not doing, you know, the said habit. It's hard. Uh, that's actually a, and I'm glad that that option is uh, was on here because it it's something I think that is another one of those things that's easily overlooked. The importance of actually establishing a routine, establishing a habit that helps reinforce. I, I suspect that there's a lot of concealed carriers, Jacob, that want to carry a gun more than they do currently, uh, and that that there's various things that kind of hold, hold them back from being able to do that. Uh, making it a habit, I think, is one of those. And then, of course, you talked about some of those other things that that I definitely think play into it in a big way. Um, I'm surprised physical discomfort didn't rate a little bit higher. That actually was one of the surprises from this because, as you mentioned, the, the top ones didn't include that. And, in fact, it's the third smallest category, only 8.82% that say they don't carry regularly because of physical discomfort, but that's a common thing thing that I seem to encounter as I talk with concealed carriers that, well, I haven't been able to find a holster or a way of carrying a gun that 
works for me really well. And by work, like when someone says it doesn't work for me, it's usually code for it's not really comfortable or I haven't been able to make it work um, with my, my clothing, you know, choices and things like that. Um, let's see. And then the other thing I wanted to just throw out there was I was also surprised that too many places that prohibit guns was as high as it was. Yeah, me too. And again, I think it could be my perception, right? I live in uh, in a place where there's just not that many places. If you live in Chicago, you know, or New York City or something. Then yeah, but I don't know. I think most of our people, and honestly, Jacob, I mean, you know as well as I do that these are survey results from students that have gone through classes in our network. We know where those instructors are. And a lot of those instructors are in states and in locations that I don't think that's, I mean, we're not talking about Chicago. We're not talking about L.A., you know, so yeah, the majority of our students are coming out of um, relatively rural or at least pro gun places. I mean, we do we do have an instructor in Manhattan. Uh, we have one in upstate New York, one in Maryland. But the, the relative to the total gross volume of students, those represent a very low number. Yeah, most of our students are Colorado, Utah, uh, Kentucky, Kentucky, Ohio, mm-hmm. Florida, Texas, yep. Arizona. Uh, All generally pro gun states. Yeah. Yep. So again, that is, you know, seeing that data point being the, the largest single category, too many places that prohibit guns being a factor for not carrying a gun regularly, kind of a surprise. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, and I don't, you know, do you have any thoughts about, is there anything we can do to, to help our fellow concealed carriers with some of these things, including that, that very thing right there? Well, I think one one is certainly an educational factor of knowing places to prohibit, but I, th- I think that the one is just kind of the inconvenience feeling, right? Uh, and we'll talk about the employer one because I think this kind of goes in the same category. But if 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 I know that my daily activities, I'm going to go to places where I can't carry, that's a challenge. I get that. Um, but if it's you know if it's well, I'm going to stop by the post office today after work, or I'm going to go run some errands, and I might go through you know go to X business, you know, or restaurant or place that. I, I get that. But I think that one, if you have a, a good secure place and way to secure your firearm and your vehicle, then, you know, you, you can secure it and you just know the laws. And while you're doing that or going those places, then you're, you're fine. Um, now, I get there's some inconvenience there. Now, the employer is a different game. And, and I, do, I do think this is, a, this is a bigger challenge, perhaps, right? Because you know, if I leave the house and I go to an employer and I work all day and I come home, pretty hard to justify taking the gun at all if if my employer doesn't allow a gun. And I've been there. My last real yes. you know, job I had before this one, um, I was not allowed a gun at work. And I was at that company for five years. And that's a that's a hard sale. Uh, now, what, what did I do? Well, I kept a gun in the car, you know, secured, locked up. And that was the best I could do. And, I, and then I just had to really commit to the weekends. And that was hard. It was hard for me. It was very difficult to wake up on a Saturday morning and strap the gun on because when you don't do that for five days out of the week, you lose the habit. It's hard. And so I guess what I would say is that you just have to be very proactive about caring when you can. And that, that does it. That does the trick. That I think at least emotionally and, and in terms of legitimate preparedness puts you in a mental state where you're doing all you can do. I'm glad you brought that up. And, and yes, we have a couple of, uh, uh, viewers here commenting that about those very things, you know, about employer issues and where they work and how that location is allow for guns. And, and in some cases, and depending on the state too, they may, you know, they, the employer may say, you can't have a gun at work. You can't have it on 
company property, meaning even in the parking lot. Um, some states have laws that protect some of that stuff, you know, for the concealed carrier more, but uh, many do not. And so that's a tricky one. And, and I didn't have the benefit that you had, Jacob. You talked about how you worked in a non-permissive environment. Uh, very few people want to put their jobs at risk or at jeopardy because that's what puts food on the table and keeps the roof over the head and the lights turned on. And so, you know, assuming you're able to lock it in the car when you get to your workplace, cool. But I didn't have that option when I spent three years working for the federal government on a federal facility where I went through a gated entrance with security guards that did random checks. Well, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to play with fire in that one. And that was a big frustration for me for a long time was not even having the option. Like my, my commute from home to work, I was vulnerable. I wasn't even allowed pepper spray, you know? So <laughs> I could have a pocket knife under three inches or two and three quarters or something like that, you know, and, and, uh, that, that was it, you know? And so that was a, that was a tough thing for those three, a little more than three years that I worked uh, at that federal facility. So I totally feel your pain. If you're in that category or just have a, an employer that's non-permissive like that. And frankly, a lot of corporate employers have anti-gun policies, uh, so it's a tough one for a lot of people. I know that, uh, we're not alone, uh, in that. So I'm, I'm glad that my current employer uh, is a very permissible environment, Jacob. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> cool. Well, um, hopefully there was something of value for our listeners today as we talked about these very statistics uh, maybe not the most thrilling of content at times, uh, depending on who you are. Maybe you like this kind of stuff. Maybe you don't. But my hope is that you come away and go, okay, kind of going back to where I, what I was saying about 10, 15 minutes ago. Are you getting better or are you getting worse? Where are you at on the spectrum of things? Maybe you're just beginning your journey. All right. And I've given, and Jacob has as well, we've provided some tips of how to save time, how to be more efficient at getting better, at progressing, at learning, at growing. Uh, and so I hope that you'll, you'll take this episode today and, and everything we've talked about and go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get better. I'm going to work at this. I'm going to uh, take more classes, whatever it is, do more dry fire. Uh, have a, put, put together a good solid plan and then stick to it. Because it's really important, I think, that you do it, especially as Jacob was, was alluding to, it's a lot harder when you do have a work environment that's non-permissive to create that habit and to live that lifestyle the way you want to. And that's that, that can be a hindering to you getting better. So uh, put together a plan that helps you overcome whatever limitations stand in your way. Yep. Well, again, today's episode was brought to you by Ammo Supply Warehouse. Again, we hope that you'll support our sponsors by going to their various websites or the other links that we provide in the show and let them know that you support them and you support us. Uh, let them know that maybe, I mean, you don't have to do this, but you might mention in the notes when you place an order that, hey, heard about you on the Concealed Carry podcast or concealedcarry.com. Uh, but uh, head on over to ammosupplywarehouse.com and buy your next batch of ammo today. And then also the Citizen Armor uh, backpack insert 
ballistic panels. Again, the short link on that makes it really easy to get to. You can go to concealedcarry.com forward slash backpack. Uh, what was it again? <laughs> backpack armor. That's backpack what it was. armor. No concealedcarry.com forward slash backpack armor to learn more about that. Now, we're towards the end now, about to wrap it up, but it is a Tuesday, and that means we have another uh, Concealed Carry podcast weekly giveaway announcement. And uh, that's interesting. This person's uh, email address, hmm, based on that email address, makes me wonder if uh, they work at a particular place I'm familiar with. So anyway... I'm really excited to uh, present to you a winner of this week's giveaway. They are going to receive free online access to our new video course, Fighting from Cover with Unconventional Shooting Positions, a three, three and a half hour plus uh, long you know, training video about fighting from cover, use of cover, and shooting positions. Super excited about this. And uh, you know, we were just launching that last week, and many of you have already purchased or we'll be receiving it because you're a member of Guardian Nation. But in this case, one lucky winner is going to get a free copy just for signing up for the weekly giveaway at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Jacob, we need a drum roll. I hate it when you do this. <laughs> okay, hold on. Here we go. Ready? Yep. Not bad. I mean, a little on the short side, but not I'm bad. I'm improving. <laughs> I, you had a very nice gradual you know pickup in the tempo there okay <laughs> winner is todd todd is our winner this week todd we will email you and get you uh access to that online course so congratulations todd uh there's actually no last name provided or even last name initials so normally i will say todd and a first you know initial of his last name but there's not even that option so, Todd, whoever you are, congrats to you, sir. And again, if you, folks, if you'd like to sign up for our weekly giveaways, it's really easy to do by signing up at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize, and you get extra entries for sharing it with your friends and family on social media, and also now subscribing to our YouTube channel. All right. Um, next week's prize, I had it here, is... The new a, Defensive Property DVD from ah. Law of Self-Defense, a brand new course recently released by Andrew Branca. Awesome. And this is an actual DVD. So the Defense of Property, Law of Self-Defense video course, that's great because that's a really valuable, really important topic and one that many concealed carriers and even non-concealed carriers, people that are just concerned about defending their homes or themselves in and around their homes, uh, yeah, it's a good topic. So next week's prize will be a Defense of Property, Law of Self-Defense DVD. Awesome. Again, you know where to get signed up. I've mentioned it several times. We hope that you will, and we will announce the winner next Tuesday. So that brings us now to a wrap. Again, another fabulous episode. We will see you back here Thursday this week, 12 noon Mountain Time for the Facebook Live, and I'll try to get these episodes published as soon as I can as well. Until then, we hope that you'll take care and be safe, and not only that, Train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.
reminder that law is from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.